everyone. Welcome to Switchcraft, the Fingerboard podcast. My name is Janek Hemmer, and I'm virtually sitting here with another guest. This time it's Andrew. Say hello. Hey guys, this is Andrew Hill, a Canadian fingerboarder. <laughs> yeah, so I think where a lot of people might know you from is your fingerboard magazine uh, called Ocho. But I would say before we start with that, we first talk about you a tiny bit. So, yeah, you're from Canada and you're currently in Europe, right? Yeah, I'm from Nova Scotia, Canada, which is uh, the East Coast. And uh, right now I'm in Estonia, uh, living with my girlfriend here. Cool. And uh, how long have you been fingerboarding? And do you know what got you into fingerboarding? Yeah, um, I started when I was 13, and I'm 23 right now. Um, when I started, I was watching videos of uh, Alexis Milant, and uh, the first video I ever saw on Mike's channel was uh, this video called Elias Asmuth is Smashing. It was like a desk video of him sashing a harrier. Um, I think that's like a pretty common story. Like you see one video on Mike's channel and then you immediately buy a fingerboard and just, uh, yeah, it, it, it never, it never changed. I'm still in love with it to this day. Yeah. I heard that quite a few times so far during these interviews. Yeah. Yeah. I think in, especially in the States, Mike had a really big reach or still has. And I think a lot of people who got into fingerboarding in the last, let's say 10 years in your case. Yeah might have come through mike's channel yeah we used I have... to be like uh super obsessed with watching youtube videos like when i first got into fingerboarding and the the scene on youtube was still really popular me and my group of friends would uh watch like all the old videos that were on mike's channel every like every day after school we would try and keep up with like all the new fingerboard videos that got posted and i think that's where like my love started was was watching all these different style of videos and then we started to make our own and that's when I think I really got hooked on it. That's cool to hear. Do any of your friends from back then still fingerboard or have they all stopped and you're the only remaining one? Yeah, I mean, they still have fingerboards and they mess around, but from that, that, that original squad, I don't, none of them really still like film anymore. But I mean, if we're hanging out together, they can... They can still sesh. They can keep it together for sure. Yeah, that's cool to hear. So you've uh, traveled around quite a bit. At least I saw you, I think at this point, almost two, over a year ago. No, two yeah. years ago. Uh, yeah, at fingers, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I think that was la this time last year. Um What was your impression of the European fingerboard scene versus maybe the Canadian fingerboard scene? Do you discern any differences or yeah, any, like, I mean are the, the people different or I think uh I don't have much experience with the Canadian scene. Uh, where Nova Scotia is located like geographically, it's, it's usually easier for me to go to rendezvous than it would be for me to go to like Quebec or, or Ontario where the where they have like joy cult and, uh, and uh, camel pro. So I don't, mm. I don't really get that involved in the Canadian scene. So I can really only speak on rendezvous, but um, I think the main difference lies in, in the Berlin scene and having the Azzy Berlin store as this like hub of, of fingerboarding where you have like daily sessions in this daily group of dudes that you can hang out with. That, that was yeah. like insane. Yeah, I think the the Berlin scene is like very much special than the rest because, like I said, we're pretty much the only ones who have a place where you can just go to and have a session. And I'm quite sure at least three of my friends are in the store right now. So. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. I mean, if more, if we had, if we could set up more spaces like that in different cities, I, it's pretty amazing what it does for the scene. I mean, it takes so much work and like you see it in the store, like Timo and everyone is working super yeah. hard. It's not easy, but I'm just saying if we could do stuff like that for other other scenes in the world, I think fingerboarding would grow a lot. 
Yeah, I think places like those could help quite a lot. Um, how is it with uh, Mike's place? It's pretty much only open when he has a session there, like an official one, right? Yeah, the the scene at Mike's house is super fun. I mean, it, that's like, uh, I guess, one of the reasons that keeps me going back to Rendezvous every time, because there's almost like two different events, I guess. There's the, on Saturday, the actual fingerboard Rendezvous event, and then um, you also have a group of people that will hang out at Mike's place and uh, have a, kind of a separate tiny little event. But yeah, no, the, the, that experience is always super fun. Yeah, I definitely need to go to some rendezvous in the future, but maybe oh, not for the next few years, maybe. <laughs> Let's see how long this goes. Yeah. Um, uh, how many rendezvous have you uh, been going to so far? Um, the first one, my first rendezvous was the rendezvous 13. And, uh, I think at the time I was like 14 years old and then it was hard to go during the school year. So I would, in the summer, I would go to the store sessions. Uh, some early memories I have of that is staying at the Holiday Inn Express in, uh, in Massachusetts in Andover. Um, I saw that on FFI, that was where like people would, if they were going to rendezvous, that's where the, the specific hotel they would stay at. And I didn't really know that many people from FFI. I just kind of knew their names. And so I went, uh, stayed in that hotel and I went into the lobby and immediately, like I was with my mom and we got there at, ni at nighttime and immediately there was like a group of dudes seshing, uh, in the hotel lobby and i was to my mom i was like holy shit like this is crazy like we're not the rendezvous hasn't even started and we're like this is other people fingerboarding in real life like this is amazing <laughs> so i went i put myself upstairs and i came back and uh it was like david smith uh james Colleran, ryan weisson and uh nick rose some, some of so those are some of the names and those people i still talk to to this day like david smith is still one of my really good friends That, that's quite a cool story. <laughs> uh, for those listening, uh, the reason why I ask about uh, Rendezvous specifically is that the magazine you're doing is pretty much linked to Rendezvous. Is that correct so far? Yeah, my goal with the magazine is to uh, bring more like uh, physical printed media into the fingerboard scene. And this is um, kind of a hard thing to do online because you can't really it's harder to like promote online and to get people to get excited about it when you can't see it in person. So with the Ocho zine, the idea is to release every new issue at rendezvous in person, and then everyone can experience it together, which so far has worked out good. And, and that that's been a super fun project. Um, with, and then with the issues that are left over, I've been selling them on Calpla. Yeah. Uh, definitely have mine here at home and, and <laughs> keeping it in high regards um yeah for i think you answered pretty much already what exactly ocho is are there any more things about the philosophy or why you started ocho before we continue i think recently in the past couple of years there's been a, a new resurgence of really nice graphic design and fingerboarding And in the past couple of years, I started to uh, go to school for graphic design and learn more about it. And it was it was easy to see the fingerboard brands that really know what they're doing. Like uh, mm -hmm. recently in the past couple of years, Flint has been uh, coming up with this really amazing packaging, like really cool typography. The the, uh, the print on it is super nice. And everyone's minds are blown. Like we haven't seen such beautiful packaging and fingerboarding before. And I don't think we have seen it since. Like, I <laughs> still think uh, Flint is the only one doing it and doing it like that and that high quality. Because uh, for anyone listening, packaging like that doesn't cost nothing. Like, to yeah. get packaging like that, you don't just print it off and that's the packaging. Uh, to screen print or to make those uh, forms for the board to hold and everything that surrounds it that's not cheap and for your average small company i think something like that just isn't feasible yeah with flint especially like 
selling out stocks in like minutes <laughs> after they drop. I think that's pretty much why Flint can can do something like that. But yeah, like you, I'm I I studied graphic design myself, and I was also really impressed when I saw the packaging and everything that comes to it for the first time. Yeah, and not only the the cost of producing the packaging, but also the time that Laws takes to design yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah, because it's it can't stay the same. I mean, it changes a little bit for each uh, launch. He also has an amazing uh, website that's designed pretty nice. So yeah, I saw companies like that, uh, like Flint and uh, Cowfly is another example, just uh, pushing yeah. more like the artistic side with these graphics and the, the uh, design side. Um, and I got excited about Ocho and wanted to do, uh, I didn't want to make decks, but I wanted to produce something where I could use my graphic design skills and fingerboarding. And then I ended up, uh, I ended up trying to record a podcast where I, I would do interviews uh, at Mike's house and at Rendezvous. And then I was like, okay, let's just use these interviews, type them out into InDesign file and try and, and make a little zine. Yeah, cool. I mean, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're not doing an interview podcast because otherwise <laughs> I would be out of a job. <laughs> I still have plans to, uh, I think, release the audio from those interviews because mm -hmm. every, uh, every time I do one of these interviews, not everything, um, it doesn't translate into print the same way that it does on audio. So it would be cool to hear, sure. to, to share those files with everybody. But um, yeah, that will would, happen would be cool. Yeah, I uh, definitely thought about uh, doing a magazine in the past since I basically grew up with magazines. Since my dad was a uh, was a like producer or whatever, you, a publisher for magazines. Whoa, so, okay. So even back in the day, I asked him, "Hey, uh, what would it cost to produce a magazine and for fingerboarding?" It was like in the early two thousand or mid two thousands, and he was like, "No, nah, it's." just not feasible yeah so so i really like that people are doing their like homemade magazines and putting effort into it because i think it's much more important to put effort into it rather than it being like the most perfect high quality print with like gloss glossy paper <laughs> and yeah well the million first, advertisings uh... Yeah, the advertising thing is, I'm still working on that. The, the first issue I ever made was a little bit more DIY. I don't think there's any advertisements in it. The second issue was printed by a, a real print shop, and then it had way too many advertisements in it. And I got a lot of feedback from the from the scene at Rendezvous. Like one person in particular, uh, Scott B, he said like, yo, dude, it's sick, but we need more content and less advertisements. And uh, I'm still trying to work on that balance because I'm sure, as you know, it's really hard to uh, produce any fingerboard content. I mean, writing yeah. and, and working on projects like this is just not easy. It takes a lot of time and work. Do you do everything yourself or do you have people helping you with certain aspects? So the, the most recent issue that, that will be coming out soon is issue four. And for this one, I have a pretty good lineup of contributors whereas in issue three i was trying to do everything myself um it didn't it just doesn't work it's it's really hard um so i'm still looking for help for for the i guess for the fifth issue now uh trying to find people to contribute to it and to help out because it takes a lot of time even though i have a lot of passion for graphic design and for the fingerboard community it's still tough to get everything together yeah, it's definitely tough. And I have to say one of the reasons why I wanted to do this interview is because I really appreciate people doing stuff in media that's not too common in fingerboarding. Like everyone does an Instagram video and a couple of people do YouTube videos. But other than that, it's really tough to find people who produce content outside of those yeah platforms i mean for people like us that just love fingerboarding and want to like absorb as much of the content as much of the culture as we can um ocho is really good for people like us uh i think another reason i was so adamant about starting this is that i was i'm on instagram all the time looking at fingerboard clips and 
I'm also going to events. So I have a per like perception of fingerboarding where I see the in real life side of it. But for a lot of people, they only see that Instagram side of it. And I just mm -hmm. want to show them that it doesn't only exist on the screen or like on their desk. There's really a lot of stuff happening in fingerboarding. And I want to show that in print with these interviews and photos and content in there. Yeah, that, that's a really cool motivation. Um, so there's been three, three episodes so far or three magazines so far. Um, which one are you the most proud of out of the three? It's probably always going to be the last <laughs> one you did. Or... Yeah, I, I'm sure as a graphic designer, you know that like looking back at your old work is uh, sometimes hard to do. Yeah. And so yeah. those, especially those older zines when I had... Uh, really no concept of typography. Um, I'm hoping that the newer one can have some stronger typography skills, but yeah, the most recent issue I'm definitely uh, the most hyped on. And that was a while ago, I think now. It was at least in April, I think. So we'll see. Yeah, April last year, could that be? When was the last rendezvous? I don't remember. Yeah, I think I think it was April last year because I think it was the one where Julian Buono went. Oh yeah, 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 and and he uh, he went to the states like a day after visiting me in the hospital when I broke my arm. So oh, that that's why I roughly know the time frame. Yeah, that I usually try to. So I'll sell the zines at the rendezvous if, if there's one in April and then try and prepare the zine for the next one that would be in November. But due to the environment right now, there won't be a rendezvous in November. So I'm still planning to release the next issue around that time. But uh, it just won't be in real life, unfortunately. And it, that makes me sad. <laughs> yeah, that, that is indeed sad. I mean, you, you could at least still... Uh send a couple copies to TKY to sell at the shop. So at least people there would be buying your zine in real life. But yeah. Yeah, I need to get more zines to Timo because this, uh, I guess this plan of only releasing them at Rendezvous and then going uh, through Cowplay, it, it works out great. But I think for the European scene, I need to send more copies over here. It's just that the it's expensive to produce and I really have to sell the zine just at, at cost of like how much I paid for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is already, I mean, it costs a lot to produce. So some people don't want to buy that, especially the younger kids. And I mean, fingerboarding is huge for, for younger kids. That's, mm -hmm. that's like a lot of the scene at rendezvous is younger people that really don't care about like printed media. Um, so it's just, it's hard to sell them, but I need to get more over to, to Europe. Definitely. Yeah. I think the target audience for a magazine is, like in general always older than the average fingerboarder since i think those who are into fingerboarding now are just discovering it they don't have a like history with printed media and with magazines and i think that's why a lot of the older generation of fingerboarders gravitate to ocho and similar magazines because we grew up with skateboard magazines and yeah and similar magazines from other hobbies and always wondering when will there be a fingerboard magazine? Yeah. When I first started fingerboarding, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't have access, I guess, to the, the fingerboard magazines that were getting printed at the time. Um, so I don't have any of those in my collection. I've looked through them a little bit when I, uh, I saw some of them in Germany, like at the Steig, they have copies of some older stuff. Uh, Thomas Hansen, shout out to Thomas Hansen. Holy shit. Yeah. That is like uh, at the Steig, he has a, a literal museum of, of printed fingerboard history. That I sat yeah. there for hours, like going through stuff. It's incredible. For for all who don't know that, Hansen, as we call him, uh, nobody says his first name pretty much. <laughs> uh, Hansen uh, used to actually produce a, a fingerboard magazine that could be bought in stores. So it wasn't like a homemade thing. It was like a real magazine that was sent out to shops and sold there. And I think that's pretty much the only time that ever happened. And 
I don't think it was around for that many issues, but because of that, he has a huge affinity to that medium. <laughs> so I I heard of, of his collection. I wasn't, when I was at the Steig, I wasn't able for some reason to look at that collection. But yeah, I definitely know that he got quite a few gems in there. Yeah, next time you go, uh, maybe I'll be there and we can look at it together because it's quite the experience. Uh, when I met him, he was, we were talking for a little bit and we started talking about magazines. And then I was like, well, dude, no way. I'm actually making a fingerboard zine right now. And then I showed it to Hanson and he was super stoked. And then we went upstairs and we were looking through all this stuff. And I think he was just excited about how excited I was to look, to look through all this history. Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. <laughs> yeah, I really miss that. That was probably my favorite part about the German scene was uh, being at the Steig. That place is just yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah I, at, when I was at the Steig, I spent like a couple hours in the kitchen uh, talking to Hansen and Tobias Fieler from back in the day. Yeah, and uh, and then other few people who came in and out and. Those kind of moments are usually one of the coolest in fingerboarding where you can just talk to people you've known for ages or known off for ages and yeah, talk about the passion and everything else. Yeah, it's super fun. Not only did Hansen have a, a tiny backlog of, of fingerboard history, but he had uh, some this like old German science fiction magazine. And when I told him I was from Nova Scotia, he was like, oh, I have this uh, magazine which has history of aliens that were in Nova Scotia. And it was like <laughs> the most obscure thing from way back in the day. But that was, it was cool to hear about Nova Scotia in Germany. That's cool. Um, one thing I heard about your magazine and wanted to ask you about, uh, and I didn't hear that from you, I heard that from, from other people, was that uh, you don't want it to be published through the internet. So you, uh, <laughs> I heard that you didn't want people to take photos and put it on Instagram and stuff like that. I put a, that... in the, in the, one of the last pages of the most recent issue, I put a tiny piece of text that said uh, some kind of joke, like it was, this is real printed media that like can't be found on Instagram or something. And I just said, remember like think to yourself before you take a picture of the page like why you're sharing it and remember like how much you love fingerboarding and why you're holding this piece of media and um i guess it would just take a moment to like reflect on on what you're doing instead of i guess like mindlessly posting a million uh instagram pictures i don't know it was just a fun little joke that i put in there yeah but uh, i i actually like that idea like since it's something that I think loses a bit of its magic when it's just like an image on a screen, even if it's like a PDF where you can actually read the text or just an image on Instagram. I think it doesn't really add that much value <laughs> to, to the thing yeah. as a whole. So I can, I definitely get why, why, yeah, you would want people to think about before posting. Yeah, eventually, which is, I, I think true in general. Yeah, at some point I will have those uh, those issues where you can read them on our website, which is still under construction, a little web design project. Um, but I didn't upload them immediately because I just think the intention is, is for them to be yeah. read uh, on paper, and that's how the that's how like the the type was set to be made to read in the form on this booklet in that format, not really on the yes. screen. Even though that's kind of pretentious, I recognize, but that's how I want it to be. As someone who knows quite a bit about reading on screens and typography uh, in the internet and magazines and stuff, I would recommend not, uh, at least not publishing it one-to-one because -one, uh, I think a dedicated version would be much, mm. much easier to read online. And I, I also, like at my job, we also have one client for which we do a uh, a magazine that they put out and we do a website for for that magazine and basically publish all the content digitally. I can tell you it's quite a lot of work to rehash a physical magazine and make it interesting right. as a website. 
Maybe the yeah. it would make more sense to do a special online edition of Ocho that uh, works better for the screen instead of trying. Yeah, to or or like transform. some. Yeah, or some like uh, curated articles that work. Yeah, another huge well inspiration or... that I had was the Jankum magazine and uh, Ian Mishnah, mm -hmm. who created that. Um, that was an inspiration for Ocho, and I really look at his model of uh, um, what's the word. I look at his model of journalism in skateboarding and, and kind of trying to use that as an inspiration for Ocho. Uh, I mean, he does an amazing job and he has a team now, whereas I'm just one dude. But uh, yeah, that's an idea is taking one article and then posting that on Instagram or, or posting it on our website. I know that Jenkins does that a lot. And I, mm -hmm. I always look at their articles. Uh, I, I'm not really checking their website every day, but when I see on Instagram that they've posted something, I'll go read it. Yeah, I think every every medium is different and content needs to be different for different media. And when I see a lot of people publishing a YouTube video on Instagram, that's that's for me where where I draw the line between <laughs> media. Like always not everything needs to be on Instagram, not everything needs to be on YouTube. And same with pretty much every other type of content. Some content works best in print some is suited for a website some is suited for like a interactive article or yeah or a podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think with the future of virtual i want to try and expand those uh, different types of media i think there's a huge link like an, un, an untapped link between fine arts galleries and fingerboarding and that might seem kind of like out there but i think uh, in skateboarding this link is starting to emerge a little bit like we've seen uh, a lot more gallery shows of like skateboard photography uh, mm -hmm. skateboarders paintings or like uh, uh, mark gonzalez has like some more like performance art skateboarding work and i think fingerboarding can go down the same road this is uh something with, with ocho that i want to explore is uh just doing i guess the more fine art side of the world yeah i think that that's you pretty much hit it right on the head there because I also feel that or I I started seeing that people f start framing their fingerboards and put it yeah. like up that's a bit more mindful than just hanging it on the wall. It's more of a of an art project at that point, which has been happening for skateboarding since years that people put up decks just because they like the graphic yeah i and have I think... that in uh, in my room back in canada i have this cowfly yeah. board which is like a, a, a graphic that jesse braun made that's like photos of his dog and then there's like a drawing and it was just i don't have any other fingerboards up in my room except for this one special uh, jesse braun cowfly that i love yeah and i also think that pretty much posters or wall art is also missing from fingerboarding since pretty much like we talked about earlier Fr flint is pretty much the only company who does posters with their fingerboards and i think that like maybe a nice image of someone fingerboarding could also be quite a nice poster and that's where we get back to it being more of a fine art and maybe something that could be displayed in a museum or yeah. something where you can buy. Yeah, it would be super cool. Uh, I, I would love to do a fingerboard event that is also some sort of gallery space. Uh, I'm trying to work on a piece for the next issue with Garrett Lockhart, who is a, a fine artist. In a, he's a Canadian fingerboarder, but he's also living in Amsterdam right now. And so we're hmm. trying to bridge that gap or connect that link a little bit. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, with that article yeah i mean that's definitely an, an area that hasn't been explored so far and yeah i think there could be something in there yeah i, I think so in the last issue i uh, i made this like 10 prints that were a picture of navy pocket border uh it was a picture of him in it was in downtown Boston. We were driving, and I was in, sitting in the back seat. He was sitting in the front of Jeff's car, and he had a, a pocket winkler like set up in the car. 
but the way it was set up it was just so perfect like he, it, he's one of those kids that's like always fingerboarding like all the time at rendezvous he's like the second he wakes up he's fingerboarding until <laughs> he goes to bed and so it like really is this was this cool photo that i think encapsulates his personality because it's fucking cool and edgy the downtown city but then he's also there like you can tell he's addicted to fingerboarding in this little pocket winkler and so I made, uh, I think, 10 copies of that with the, with the zine and then gave them to the, I guess, the, my special friends who I know are like super passionate about the zine. Uh, shouts out to Freezy, this uh, fingerboarder that goes to Rendezvous, who is like a collector of Ocho. And I fuck with that guy a lot. Oh, nice. Yeah. It, it's cool when you are at the point where people are not only stoked for your next release, but are trying to collect all your work so far yeah dude it's a crazy feeling it feels so nice uh it's it's nice <laughs> um what do you think how how much work goes into one of your scenes uh i think this question is more for the audience rather than for me um, <laughs> what do yeah, you think the first one i didn't i didn't really typeset anything i didn't have any idea what i was doing and i put <laughs> okay. the images like everywhere um but i had it's because i had some pre-existed interviews recorded like i had one with ed garner and one with timo lieben and so i just listened to the audio and then i did some transcribing where i would listen to you know uh, five seconds of audio and type as fast as i could then mm. then have like a hotkey to pause the audio so that i could catch up and then play and then i so i would transcribe the whole uh, audio file um and then i i get uh so I leave, and then I leave that text file on the side. Then we have the InDesign file, which has all the images and everything else, um, the the graphic content. And then with beside the images and graphic content, you would have the type. And now I've started to set the Greek type, like fake type that's just gibberish. So I have all that. I have the like the layout, of the grid of all the the type ready, and then I can take the the text that I transcribed and then bring it into the InDesign document and yeah, it makes everything easier and quicker. Whereas the first issue, I wasn't doing that at all. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, nowadays, uh, do you plan your content in your magazine? Like, uh, like I said earlier, my dad is a publisher. So I grew up, grew up around page templates where it's just like wow. a spread of, of the whole magazines just with the page numbers and then like a bunch of markers and little scribbles here at here uh article from this page to this page do you do you do anything like planning how much pages an article gets or how do you want to space them out or is it more like just on the fly it's, since it's not like a magazine with like 8,200, <laughs> 120 pages. Yeah, for the next one, I want to I wanna try and make it a few more pages, and I want to try and bind it myself so that uh, I'm not paying a print shop to do it, and I can. I want to try and make a, like a glue-bound edition of, of Ocho and see how that goes. So I, uh, I want to try and make more pages, and that will be a little bit more complex. But the process right now, I'm, I'm definitely winging it, and I'll try and come up with a theme for each each issue but even that has still been pretty loose and that's still like a challenge that i'm working on mm -hmm. this one was supposed to be focused on like the archival side of fingerboarding and documenting fingerboarding itself um so i'm trying to gather stories that people have about filming and about uh being at events the people who play the roles at events where they're not actually fingerboarding but they're capturing the scene capturing the environment of what's happening yeah i think that's that's all also like an underrated part at events because a lot of time when i go to an event and bring my camera i end up with like a minute of footage and that includes like 50 seconds of me bailing a trick <laughs> and because when you're at an event it's so easy to get sucked into uh, sucked into the the whole event and just absorbing everything and not documenting it yeah it's uh it's really tough lately when i have been going to fingerboard events i've been trying to focus more on shooting photos which i just know nothing about i'm sure 
there's fingerboard photographers out there that are super talented, like uh, the Dirty Harry, for example, has shot some really cool fingerboard photos. I've, I've used some of his for the zine. Yeah, or um, uh, or John Fly. Also yeah, yeah. John, John Fly is a really cool fingerboard photos. And so when I go to events now, I try and trying to learn those skills like uh, like Harry and John Fly. But uh, I'm still like spending a lot of time just talking to people a lot. Still spending time like filming tricks when I should probably be taking photos or I should probably be recording an interview. But really, when you're at an event, you're just having fun. So it's, I shouldn't be there to work anyway. Yeah, I tried doing interviews at events and I found now it's, it's much easier to talk to the people and say, hey, can I interview in the future and then just do it online. Yeah, I'm still still trying to learn how to balance that because mm -hmm. ca capturing interviews in person is different yeah, than online. That's definitely true. Like the the perfect way for for me to get interviews is always when someone happens to be in Berlin because yeah, yeah, I also think an in-person interview changes the dynamic. Yeah, I haven't done a online interview for Ocho yet. Uh, I think I'll be doing one for the for this upcoming issue, but the all of the older interviews were all in person at Rendezvous, and they're not only are they hard to conduct, but they go on for such a long time when you're in person, and then it's so much work to transcribe everything. Mm -hmm. But I think that's a problem of my own where I get so so into the interview, I just want it to last forever that I uh, I, I don't cut it off in time. Um, you said that uh, the next uh, the next edition will focus on the documenting part. Uh, have you had focused editions so far? So, yeah. No, the the past issues have just been whatever content I can get, and the the best way that I, that I can present that content. And it's been uh, it's been random. This is the first issue I think that will actually follow a theme. I'm just looking at the <clears throat> I'm just looking at the the like planning file that I have for the next issue. Um and some of the content that's finished. There is a really cool story from this uh from the Russian fingerboard scene that I'm excited to publish because I'm I've been spending time in Estonia um which is kind of close to Russia. I've been learning a little bit more about uh mm -hmm. the Russian fingerboard scene. I'm really excited about that one. Um What else do I have? Yeah, I'm always interested in learning about scenes from other countries or other regions as a whole. And I previously also talked to people from Russia, not for the podcast, but yeah, just as an interest. And I think the like Russian scene, the Indonesian scene, the Chinese scene, they are all like vastly different and get not enough coverage in the like let's say western dominated fingerboard scene yeah there's a lot of people uh there's a lot of fingerboarders on instagram that i had no idea were in um in countries like estonia i mean there there was this kid that i was following i had no idea that he lived here and we ended up meeting up um and the, the fingerboard scene in estonia there's so many kids here fingerboarding i really want to host an event while i'm here but I'm not sure if it will happen. Mm. Yeah, when when I'm at the shop, I tend to meet people from different yeah. countries. And a recurring theme was that a lot of people said, oh, I'm pretty much the only <laughs> fingerboarder in yeah. Finland. And I met the only fingerboarding in fin fingerboard in Finland pretty much three weekends <laughs> in a row. Because a lot of people, like, I think when when we both... Uh, started in the scene it was much more focused on online forums and because of that the the connection to the scene as a whole was a bit more tight i would say and nowadays since it's just on instagram like you said you pretty much don't know where someone is from because yeah i i didn't put a german flag in, in my <laughs> videos and i think i'm one of the easiest ones to spot where I'm from since I'm at the shop at pretty much every other post. But yeah, I think it's quite quite tough to find people from roughly your area to fingerboard with because 
back in the day we would just make a forum post and be like hey is, is there another fingerboarder in southern germany and yeah it's yeah. different i think the connections now, that people make on online forums you could see the connections happening like if there was a thread for southern germany you could see everyone commenting whereas now i think those connections happen more in dms on instagram where people form like yeah. little clicks in fingerboarding um and then they'll have like a group chat and then they'll be like really close friends and then that will motivate them to want to like go to events and meet up in person like i've heard stories like that a lot uh, at rendezvous where people just form like younger dudes form these like little crews and then they're all from different parts of america and then they meet up in massachusetts to go to rendezvous yeah i heard similar things like that as well and the first time i heard it i was quite surprised since i've never really been part of uh, those like instagram groups nowadays a bit more uh, especially with uh, with girls in the scene and stuff like that but yeah it's and I think it was mostly because I'm in Berlin. Yeah, and definitely. Yeah, well, all my friends, I can just meet at the shop when I want to. <laughs> yeah, you're so lucky yeah. for that, for sure. Yeah, and I, I try to appreciate it as much as possible. Um, I would now uh, shoot a couple of rapid fire questions your way. Okay. <laughs> so... Uh, try to answer them like as briefly as possible. But if you spend a bit time on one, then that's also not <laughs> not a big deal. But yeah, let's try to keep it rapid. So, uh, what's your favorite wheels? Flathes. And favorite deck and Ooh, shape? My favorite is the absolute synthetic deck that I lost on the Airflow tour in twenty fourteen. What was that? It was what it was absolute, uh, which is an American company. Um, it was a synthetic bottom ply that was like this white plastic. Um, yeah, crazy. <clears throat> damn, my throat fucking kills. <clears throat> Sorry, <laughs> I'm gonna drink more water. No worries. What's your favorite trick on flat? Uh, Three sixty shove it. <laughs> Mine as well. Uh, favorite trick on an obstacle? Uh, probably 360 shove it back tip. That's a hard one. Yeah, but a cool it's, one. it just comes easy when uh, it's one of those tricks where it's become like my trick where I just do it all. It's like a go to now. Minus a uh, two nose yeah, grind. Classic. Okay. Um, favorite uh, music song right now? Damn. Um, sure. I'll say Coke Nails, Lil Peep, and Bexy. <laughs> never heard of it. Uh, outdoor or indoor fingerboarding? Ooh, indoor fingerboarding on a nice surface, which is tall enough where you can stand. Yeah, that's <laughs> a good spot. <laughs> uh, what's the favorite obstacle? The I really like the flat face ledge, which was like shaped like a U. Um, I don't know what the name mm -hmm. of it is, but it was like this this fun curvy thing where you could just like wally onto it and ah, sick curved flat face ledge. Uh, concrete or wood obstacles? Oh, concrete! Concrete and stone all day. It's super important to me that the that the ledge is like solid and not hollow. Or, or the, the ledge or bank or whatever it is has to be like you have to feel that it's like really concrete and it can't have any mm. like really hollow poppy feeling switch or switch, regular sure. uh hobbies outside of fingerboarding Ooh, graphic design <laughs> which maybe is not a hobby it's like a lifestyle um <laughs> Uh, playing some old school MMOs like RuneScape and MapleStory, super fun. Um, what else? Skateboarding? <laughs> I don't know what other hobbies. I guess that's a hobby. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite thing about video? Oh, fuck. Damn. 
Oh, any Jesse Braun rendezvous video is probably my favorite. Because that's where all my rendezvous videos are inspired from. A uh, flat ground with an obstacle or a park? A park. If it's a well-made park, that's where it's at. Even if it's a shitty park, it can still be way better than just, uh, just one obstacle. And that's the hard part about, about having meetups too, because that to me that makes such a difference when you have a park. Yeah, it, it does. Uh, heel flip or kick flip? If you got a steezy heel flip, if you got like a, an Ed Garner heel flip, then then heel flip. <laughs> uh, who's your favorite fingerboarder? James O'Neill. <laughs> Uh, do you prefer homemade or bought ramps? Yeah, well, it's just how do we do define homemade and bought ramps? Because, like, so, let's say someone who doesn't really know what they're doing. Oh, then home, if they don't know what they're doing, then those <laughs> ramps have a really cool charm because sometimes they're just they can come out perfect, better than a like mass produced ramp. They can come out with like some unique qualities for sure. Uh, favorite food right now? There's these chips in Estonia that are super long, and I have no idea what they're called. But they come in a long box, and instead of being like tiny circles, they're like one really long chip. Those are my favorite. <laughs> That sounds. I'll bring them. I'll bring them to uh, to Germany next time I come. You can try them. Definitely. <laughs> uh, loose or tight trucks? Uh, tight for the first part of my fingerboard life, then as loose as it would possibly go, and now tight again. What was your last personal NBD? Oh, I was with uh, Rens Van Brie in Amsterdam. I don't know if I'll be able to explain it over audio, but there was this weird like street spot, which was, a, I guess, like a handrail. And... Uh, doing a 50-50 on the side of the handrail and then like flicking it up almost like a primo good catching it at a 50-50 on the top and going down it's it's almost like some andy anderson trick or something like that <laughs> or like a fancy lad like a fancy lad combo which i always like doing that in fingerboarding yeah, yeah i also like yeah. weird combos Uh, do you prefer to have one setup or multiple Always one setups? setup. I've just never been one of those people that would have more than one. I'm looking at my desk full of fingerprints. I don't know. I don't get it. To me, <laughs> I can't switch like that. I'm always one person, one setup. What trick do you hate the most doing in a game of skate? Uh, Nolly inward heel, maybe? Nah, that one's kind of fun. That one's kind of fun. I got better at those. I used to hate them. Last time I played the game of skate was at when I was in Germany at the store, and I won. I think we played it two games, and I won. I'm trying to think of against who? Against me or I was playing else? with Harry, and then this uh, oh, okay. some local Berlin dude, and I can't remember his name. I'm sorry, uh, but damn, I'm trying to think if there's anything that really got me messed up. Playing a game of skate on a rail or a box is some people are just way better than me, and th those games are. Any trick can be impossible. <laughs> I'm better at, at flat. It's I think it's more fair. <laughs> <laughs> Do you prefer plastic or urethane wheels? Well, I've been fingerboarding for a while, and I never really have uh, have got dipped my hands in the world of urethane wheels. So I'd, I have a I don't have a lot of experiences with them. I've always used plastic wheels. Always. I gotta I gotta switch it up soon. What's your favorite drink? Uh, Berliner Kindle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have any sponsors? Yeah, shout out to Unique Decks, Mallory. Um, shout out to Don from Arc Ramps, Daniel from Sax Tape, and the fingerboard zine Ocho. <laughs> That, that's a pretty good yeah. lineup. 
Uh, what would be your dream sponsors? Uh, I guess probably when I first started uh, writing Mallory's decks, I always liked them and I always wanted to get uh, on Unique. Um, I use a lot of uh, I use a lot of flat face wheels. It would be good to get flat face wheels, but I mean, it's like fingerboard stuff lasts forever, really. So, what kind of dream sponsor? Dream sponsor is like I'm I'm my own dream sponsor. I'm making the fingerboard zine, and that's that was my dream, and now I'm doing it. That's quite <laughs> a cool statement. Uh, thirty-two or thirty-four millimeters. Uh, twenty-nine and thirty-two, but I never have tried to set up with thirty-four yet. I gotta do that soon. <laughs> Shame. <laughs> uh, what Instagram account do you like following the oh, most? Oh shit! Okay, wait. Let me look up his name. Oh, maybe something people haven't aren't following. Yeah, uh, dude, Gatlin, Gatlin man. This dude is fucking insane. Um, G-A-T-L-Y-N man. Has the sickest style. Posts some really cool skate clips too. Yeah, that is the homie. I love his clips. And he's uh, he's not that well known. Oh, I, I wasn't following him as well. I love so. that. Yeah, need to do that. Um, And what's your favorite overall fingerboard company favorite fingerboard company is cowfly i'm super inspired by uh, the the mindset of john and what goes into his decks his uh, his little slogan for the art of it it means a lot to me i really like what he's doing for fingerboard yeah that concludes the rapid fire um do you have anything else you want to shout out or anything we haven't talked about yet so far? Um, it would be cool to talk about Jesse Brown's rendezvous videos. That was something I was super stoked on. Um, when I when I first started going to rendezvous, uh, I always wanted to... F ah, shit. Let me bring one up. Sorry, I'm blanking here. I have a lot to say about them, but I'm blanking. Yeah, I, I don't know too much about those. I don't think I have even seen wow, one of them. Yana, you've never seen so one. That a... That's insane. Okay, so the Jesse Jesse Ron Ronnie videos are these like to me is like a proper showcase of the energy at Rendezvous. They're they're a little bit longer, like 10, 15 minutes, 20 minute videos. And they're filmed with the X one thousand, beautiful camera. I got so stoked on that camera. Um, I bought a TRV, and I think in 2013, from Gabe, Sp Gabe Scott. Uh, Shouts out to Gabe, absolute legend. And then I started filming, you know, SD with the tapes. And I had no fucking clue what I was doing, but I just wanted to try and make videos like Jesse did. Um, and eventually. I, th I think at first when I started making them, it was a little bit too much of like a, of a copycat, and eventually I started to develop my own style with that, with my rendezvous videos, and I miss making them because I haven't been as focused on that now. I've been working on the zine more. Yeah, I never really quite got the appeal of VX footage. <laughs> There's something magic about yeah. it. I I made a video explaining. Doesn't do it for yeah, me. it doesn't do it for everyone. Uh, if you guys want to learn more about the VX, I made a video that was uh, a fingerboard video essay explaining why I think Jesse Brown's videos are important for the fingerboard scene and why the VX1000 is is such a cool tool in skateboarding and fingerboarding. I definitely have to check that out. Yeah, sick. Um, Maybe uh, you will convert me. <laughs> no, I mean, it doesn't work as well for fingerboarding. I think that's one point that I that I didn't touch on enough in my video essay is, is that uh, yeah. Jesse and Chris film those rendezvous videos together, and they do a super good job of getting like skateboard angles on a fingerboard part with a VX, and it works well, but it's not perfect because the cameras are just fucking huge. Yeah, that's. I I think that that's a problem with 
a lot of even the nicer cameras in fingerboarding, which is why I went uh, and bought a action cam because it's just much easier to get into position and get angles that are that resemble skateboarding a bit better rather than like a long long lens shot from across the park. Yeah, fingerboarding angles are are so hard to make them look good. That's one of the reasons I that I get bummed out on Instagram is that there's just it's hard to I'm I'm just so particular with how I want fingerboard filming to look and it's just like frustrating when some people are so good at fingerboarding that the clips just look awful and they not filmed well. Mm. Yeah, I also am not the biggest fan of self-filming when you can see that it was self-filmed. Because, I don't know, I maybe I equate it to skateboarding too much where you wouldn't film yourself <laughs> in motion. It's either a tripod or someone else filming. And as soon as I can see the other hand from filming or see it from the shoulder movements, I don't know, that... That bumps me out about videos. What do you think about the Nico Frank clips that are like uh, self-filmed with like the cool slow-mo and they're up, they're like really up close? Yeah, I mean, Nico Frank is quite a good fingerboarder and I think he has an eye for filming. So I think he makes that work quite well. But I think a bunch of people imitate that style and don't have those prerequisites so yeah i think it works for him but doesn't work for everybody yeah for sure i I remember one time i was talking which is why i mostly stick for stick to like putting my camera on a a small tripod and yeah that doesn't do it for me i would prefer the the self-filming i think it replicates the way that skateboarding is filmed more and it it shows fingerboarding in like a more mature light which with actually that being said the word the word mature uh, one time I was talking to a fingerboarder at Rendezvous about the European scene, and, and I can't remember who it was, but they described the, the European scene as being more mature because it had been around longer in Europe. And I think that really sums up the scene. It's just that it seems more professional and not so much about not so much about like companies and business, but more about... Oh, damn. How do I say it? Yeah, I don't know. I lost it there. No worries. Yeah, actually, I I think, like, from my perspective, it would be different, I would say. Because I feel a lot of the German companies are... I mean, some are really professional, but some just aren't professional enough. And I think, as at least that's how how I see it on Instagram, some of the American companies look much more professional than a yeah, lot of like dynamic. companies. Like uh, d- dynamic, unique, yeah. uh, even uh, 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 Redemption. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, to an extent, uh, Joycult. Uh, flat face of course yeah Yeah, i think maybe it's just that uh that a lot of those companies are newer and therefore represent themselves in a in a way that you represent a business today and a lot of the german companies are still doing it like maybe just winging it and just trying to keep it fun and not trying to keep it to make it too professional but yeah maybe those are just the different perspectives we have on the scene since i think you're much more involved in the american scene and i'm much more involved in the yeah. european scene and i think once you get too close you you can't really see it for what it is anymore yeah that is true i wish in america at the rendezvous i wish there was a little bit more of a focus on contests um I don't, but at the same time, I don't really want the rendezvous to change because I think it works really well the way that, mm-hmm. that it's set up right now. But part of me thinks that contests really get the fingerboard scene like fucking excited because being at Fast Fingers, I've never been a, 
at a finger word event like that before it was fucking wild like the the energy of the, the, people getting stoked like straight up like being in the crowd and then they're like top five or top six uh when they were doing their little contest like we were in the crowd just like screaming like cheering so hard you know it's like you're at a, a really big football game or like some sports event like it was fucking yeah, sick exactly and or, or or seeing one of your friends yeah, uh, riding yeah, and doing so well sick. and then cheering that person onto the finals like we had that at uh the event before fast fingers the uh, uh as you know right, yeah, contest yeah. where where a guy won who wasn't known to pretty much anyone except then a few locals at uh. the berlin shop and we were like all of us knew that he was fucking good <laughs> and none of us could ever beat him in a game of skate and but nobody knew who he was he was like not even 18 at that time and when he showed up and continued going on and continued doing well like even as a friend it was like just an incredible feeling who was it that won the, um, the yeah, other number 10 uh hannes uh yeah uh, hcr and some number oh. on instagram yeah and yeah he's from uh eastern germany and yeah the first time he was at the shop i was like ah uh someone to play a game of skate against and not losing immediately <laughs> and then i lost immediately and was like well yeah you never that. know like people are so good at finger wording at rendezvous when i play games of skate like dude people are just are just incredible you never know who's gonna like who's gonna come out yeah but i think the what you said about uh how a contest brings that energy i think a lot of events should like once we are able to have events again uh should maybe look at doing it like an official two-day event with one day just hanging out and one day just yeah. a contest because i feel at at smaller events that really works well to have it all in one day because when it's like 15 people at a contest you catch up with everyone the whole time anyway so i think there it's quite chill to have it on the same day but for fast fingers it's either you participate in the contest or you meet up with your friends and i think when you when you continue to advance through the rounds or especially if you're one of the judges you don't get to do anything else rather other than organizing and judging <laughs> and seeing that everyone is there when their run starts yeah like doing that. the actual run was super fun i was i was talking to harry and he told me like just do some really simple stuff on the first round just don't even do any flip tricks that that'll be good enough as long as you do some like technical grinds and stuff and i was like all right i got mm -hmm. this plan i got i got some coaching from harry i can do this i'm gonna make it past the first round and i was sitting in the stands uh with indy And right before, uh, like, th then Ramon called my name and he's like, okay, we've got the, like, number 100, uh, the next rider, Andrew Hill uh, from Canada. And Indy's like, all right, man, it's, it's time to go. And, and then he's like, Andrew, do a no comply. And I was like, fuck that, dude. That's a risky trick. I'm not doing a no comply in my run because then it'll just, it'll just fuck everything I, up. I had a similar thing happening to me in that contest where someone said, hey, do that. And I was, I did it. And, and then did it ruin the run? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was, it but it was so fun yeah. to to compete like that, and it, I, yeah, because it, because it's something that's just not replicatable in in like just doing a game of skate. Like even when uh like when it's late at some contests, some people will bust out a few coins and yeah. start playing. Uh, game yeah, we do that money. on Likefest too, like a, a one dollar game of skate yeah. or something like that. It's super fun. Yeah, I mean, uh, it it's cool because uh, that brings up a bit more investment. Because otherwise, it's just like ah, let's play yeah. another. Or mm, I I think it's on uh, Game of Skate. It's a tough line between uh, taking it too serious and taking it not serious enough, and just winging it. But yeah, those contest situations, like when when I was at uh, 
uh, at Pateo uh, last year, and uh, we played a, a best trick and Gamma Skate uh, for fifty bucks. Uh, I wasn't like that was one of the most nervous I've <laughs> I've been. Like I wasn't as nervous as in the uh, fast fingers because. At that point, I already had one big event under my belt, and I was much more drunk than I was <laughs> at that time at Fast Fingers. But yeah, it's I think it's a, a different kind of excitement that you get from contests like that, especially even just as a fan or as someone watching. Yeah, the Plateau is... I, I fingerboarded there last summer a little bit, but uh, I didn't get to, I've never mm. got to uh, attend an event, but someday for sure. Because that getting nervous like yeah. that, it sounds fun. I want to participate in that. Yeah, it it was on my uh, schedule or on my calendar for this year. But oh yeah, like a lot it's of in, things. It was this it year. in September, right? Oh, yeah, it's always. No. Um, the, I didn't even think of that because now I'm in Europe like, and I would have been able to go. Yeah, it's always like uh, a couple days around, uh, like either before or after my ah, birthday. So that's why a lot of the years I couldn't go because oh. <laughs> I I was celebrating my birthday and last year I didn't have anything planned and was at and it was like the Saturday was the event and the Sunday was my birthday and at some point I was like I just fuck it I don't plan anyf anything any party I just go to Pateo yeah. and it was an amazing birthday there. Nice. Can only recommend. Yeah, I, I'm sure I'll get to the Pateo event eventually. Yeah. Okay, but I think we're uh, we're just rambling now. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe let's uh, let's cut it off yeah, here. Sounds good. So, thank you so much for for taking the time. Yeah, of course. And. I'm looking absolutely forward to seeing the next Ocho magazine. Yeah, I mean, it still has a little bit more work to do, but uh, hopefully we'll see a release of that soon. Yeah. Okay, thanks anyone, everyone for listening, and yeah, you'll catch me in the next episode. Bye.